Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. My guest this week is Carl Anthony. Carl is a true entertainment renaissance man. Uh, We talk on the show about all the different uh, facets of his career and all the different talents he possesses. And we don't even really get into how he's also a super nerd, not just into the typical sci-fi graphic novel stuff, but also into heavy metal music in general. And he plays guitar. Uh, I've been to his house and it is this insane, amazing man cave of, uh, different types of guitars located in his video game room and then out in his garage. He's got all of his sci-fi and other memorabilia and a row of pinball machines. It's it's a fun house. It is insane in the best, most amazing way possible. And uh, as you get to meet him, you'll see why I just adore Carl and I love working with him. Before we get to the show, I need to give a shout-out to a new tutti-frutti, Becky K. Hey, Becky! How are you? Thank you for joining the family. Becky is the latest in a small but mighty group of folks who support the show through Patreon and pledge $3 a month for additional content, for extra videos, for uh, the additional podcast that Matthew and I do each and every month. Uh, with some sort of facts of life adjacent programming or film that we watch and comment on, you can absolutely join the ranks of the Tutti Fruities by clicking the link to Patreon, which is right in your show notes and also available at this show's webpage. Now, on to the show. This week, Carl joined me and Matthew for Season 7, Episode 5, Men for All Seasons which had an original air date of October 19th, 1985. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Carl Anthony. Well, welcome, Carl Anthony. Hi. Hi. My goodness, what a pleasure to to be here and to watch an episode of Season 7 that I never knew existed of The Facts of Life. You and many others, when we yes. were talking, you you are thankfully one of the faces on Zoom that I'm not saying, oh my God, it's been so long, it's been forever. Thankfully, you and oh. I are working together on a regular basis right now at Universal. Absolutely. And when yep. I approached you about this, you were, I told you it was season seven, you know, over our heads, the, the gift shop, you were like, the, yeah. the what now? Yes. <laughs> Oh, I I actually went onto the wiki page last night before I watched just to get some backstory of how they got to the spot that they're in in season seven. I'm like, because my wife watched it with me and we're watching it going, wait a minute, George Clooney? And (laughs) what? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But you said you think of it as as do I. I'm familiar with it all. But to me, the facts of life is the Eastland years when the girls were in the cafeteria. 
Yeah. I didn't really honestly know that it went beyond, was it four seasons of them in, uh, in the... Yes, in it was the, the end school? of season four. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I but think they, I might have stopped watching it right around then. Yeah. Season five is when we went to Edna's Edibles. That was two seasons, two years. But then at the beginning of season seven, only five episodes prior to this, the girls show up after summer break and the shop is burnt down. It's kind of devastating. It's so weird to go from them being at the, the, girl, the girls' school to going now into business for themselves. And Edna Garrett doesn't even really seem to be part of the show in this episode. She's yeah. kind of there, but, you know, with, with some creepy little adolescent boy. <laughs> My wife and I commented too, we're like, we're like why, and especially in the 80s and 90s, and I guess even now with like two and a half men, it's like this, the creepy adolescent kid who hits on all the women. It's like this, the kid in this show and, and the, you know, and the kid in the Tom, uh, the John Cryer and, and uh, the, what is it? The two and a half man. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's just like you're going, Ooh, why is this kid hitting on, you know, old women? <laughs> that is a consistent thing that they do with, with him, with uh, Mackenzie Aston, who is a uh, half brother to Sean Aston, by the way. Okay. All and, right. Um, so yeah, that is weird. Mrs. Garrett is on her way out. Charlotte Ray has already been trying to distance herself, cut back on her role. She's ready for other things. And this right. is going to be her final season. She will get married and go into the Peace Corps at the beginning of season eight. Spoiler alert. Well, I'm sorry. Oh shit. I shouldn't have said oh, anything. Man. Oh man. <laughs> It's, it's it's oh man it's been i've been waiting to watch this for like 30 years yep well you had your chance i'm, I'm just gonna say oh, it sorry to be a dick about it, it but you had your chance yeah and now when you watch the episode carl I, we hate to tell you like they they almost like kill them all off in that episode well, no like, don't make it worse matthew <laughs> no <laughs> Now you'll know they oh. survived the big accident. They survived the big accident and she does yeah. get married. Sorry. Yeah. They never explain oh. how the tsunami hit Peekskill, New York. That was a really weird twist, but you know, TV writers. And they it. all and they all get disfigured by the storm and they have to go into plastic surgery and then they recast the entire cast. Mm -hmm. I wish I were making yes. it up, but David, you know that they end up almost going over a cliff on that episode. Oh, yeah. That's the whole, okay. Okay. And this is and this is as Mrs. Garrett's getting married or. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah. It's we'll we'll let you discover that magic for yourself, my friend. Nice. Nice. Because we could talk about Mrs. Garrett's wedding, but no, we are here to discuss Season seven, episode five, Men for All Seasons, which had an original air date of October 19th, 1985. 85, okay. 85. I was a year out of high school at this point. Okay, so you are uh, just a couple years older than I am. I think we've discovered that. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it was certainly not a time when uh, a heterosexual man of your <laughs> of your age would have been tuning in. You certainly weren't the demographic. No. So it's not shocking that this somehow no. missed you. Yeah, I was already into college at that point. So mm -hmm. I'm sure I was doing college stuff at that point. Were you already playing in a band and doing your rock and roll guy stuff? 
<laughs> not quite, but no, 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 not quite there. Kind of fiddling around with it, but nothing, nothing like that. Um, at this point, at this point, I was, I think I was an intern at the radio station and in my first year of college. So yeah, I would have not been watching TV at all. It would have been yeah. all school work and interning. So, mm-hmm. yep, I hear you totally. Well, the episode was directed by John Boab, who is the in-house director that's been pretty much directing all the shows uh, yeah, since. The John Boab. The John Boab, yeah. Oh my goodness. And uh, the writers of this episode, we have two writers, Freddie Tobin, T-O-W-B-I-N, uh, who, uh, this is his only Facts of Life episode, but uh, he would go on to create and write a series that I have never heard of called Throb. Mm. Yeah, Matthew just went, went, what What was that? Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the porn company that probably existed at the same time from 1986 to 88. I'm sorry, I lost interest then. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was a syndicated only show. It ran a season and a half, so technically two seasons. It was 39 episodes. It was Diana Canova as a straight-laced, divorced single mom who gets a job at a new wave record label called Throb. Uh, She had a a boss that became her love interest. Uh, Her kid was played by a then uh, pre-adolescent unknown Paul Walker. Oh, okay. From the Fast and the Furious movies, now sadly departed. Unfortunately, we lost him. Uh, and uh, also one of her wacky co-workers, young unknown Jane Leaves. Ooh. Never heard of this. Have you? Have either of you ever, again, it's the same year where Carl, you wouldn't have been watching TV. Yeah. I certainly was deep in college myself. I wasn't watching TV. Matthew, have you ever heard of Throb? Oh, and this time I was far too young to be watching a show called Throb, David. <laughs> or were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is only one of the writers of the show. The other writer is uh, Larry Strauss. Larry Strauss uh, only has three writing credits. His first was some episodes of the Transformers, the animated series. Uh, then there's this. And then um, he wrote one episode of 227 in 1990. Story only, not the teleplay. Um, But Larry Strauss uh, is of note in that his father is composer John Strauss. And his mother is an actress named Charlotte Ray. Oh, wow. Okay. I was never aware that her son, Larry... I'm sorry, that, yeah, that her son Larry ever wrote or was involved in the show. We know that he made most of his career as a school teacher. He would co-write his mother's memoir that came out, I think, 2017, called The Facts of My Life, which uh, we discussed on a different show that Matthew and I did. Uh, that's all the nuts and bolts stuff we need to cover. Now, Carl, typically before we start our microscopic dissection of this episode, I like to put my guest on the spot and ask you if you would please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, not dissimilar to what you might read in a TV guide. Okay. Um, 
All right. Uh, um, Natalie, um, unbelievably dating uh, a hunky swims uh, swim coach or swim team um, member uh, has something to do with their hunky swimsuit cheese beefcake calendar and uh, sells it at her store um, and alienates uh, the school because of content issues and uh, realizes her hunky way overshooting boyfriend um, for her uh, is she's just dating him because he's eye candy. And, and Charlotte Ray says some interesting things and it's a special episode in the last two minutes. <laughs> Beautiful. Have you ever read a TV guide, Carl, for Christ's sake? <laughs> Gosh, you know. Nice. I, I, it was, nice. Mine was the close-up box down mm. in the bottom corner. <laughs> yes. Got it. Got you, it. Uh, Matthew almost snarfed at your first sentence when you said, Natalie, unbelievably dating this swim team member. What wow. What is that? What is that about? Not, you don't, you don't buy that, huh? No, Natalie, come on. She's over she's overreaching. <laughs> but Natalie is typically the horny one. So and she's the first girl that's gonna lose her V card. So I That's think, right. I did I read that on Wikipedia this morning. She's gonna be the one to date the swim guy because I like, suppose. But she walks into this episode, the first time you see her, she's like Fibish Finkel walking in, like this old Jewish grandmother going, Hey, how you doing? What's going on here? Blah, 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 blah. It's like it's like you're like this caricature. She does fall into that a little bit. She is the the Jewish member of the cast and the uh, middle aged vaudevillian writers that I frequently talk about, who are in the writers' room, often play to that because of her timing and her aesthetic, comedic oh, she does aesthetic, it well. being like that. Um, yeah. So uh, did you know or remember that George Clooney was on it? Was that a complete surprise? I, not a complete, because I remember in interviews with Clooney, them talking about him being, I'd never seen him on Facts of Life, but I remember that he was on a show and I didn't remember that it was Facts of Life until he came up in the opening credits. And my wife loves uh, George Clooney. George Clooney is yes. her secret boyfriend. And she sat bolt upright and went, oh, my boyfriend's in this? And I went, yep, <laughs> he sure is. Yep. Nice mullet he's rocking, too. I really dug the mullet. Yeah. Well, he and Nancy McKeon clearly go to the same barber. <laughs> you could see. Absolutely. But let's do this. Let's start talking about the episode itself, sort of uh, scene by scene here. Um, the store is in full swing. We start in the store. I believe this entire episode takes place in the store. And uh, we do cut away briefly into shorter scenes to the storeroom. And uh, Matthew and I have some things to discuss when we get there. <laughs> Uh, but we've got the store is busy and uh, there's this freshman guy named Bruce buying lots of Langley College merchandise. He's got everything head to toe, all the bits and pieces saying, I'm a freshman, I've got to fit in. And he is very distraught that they're at the moment out of Langley jackets. And his, the, the punchline to his little bit is, how are they going to know what college I'm from when he's dressed head to toe with Langley merchandise? Um, 
So that we think is a throwaway, but it does come back to but, the show. Oh, yes, three I, more times. I've already taken issue, Dave. First of all, much to the joy of our dear friend Diana Eden, we've gotten rid of the sweatshirts. The whole point of the thing was, the whole point of the opening episode of them opening the shop was, we're all wearing sweatshirts. We're looking for a look here. And that, that has been abandoned. So yes. our costume, oh, they've got a look. Yeah, the cost, <laughs> our friend who did the costuming is, is happy about that. But this whole Langley gear bullshit already, no, where is it? Where is it in the shop? They, yeah, you don't see a display anywhere. No, not even no. a fucking coffee mug that says no. has an L on it for Christ's sake. And and they're like, this is one of our biggest vendors is Langley. They must yeah. hate you. Yeah, later must, it said that we're one of their biggest distributors. It's like, yeah. are you really? Yeah. I don't think they're getting their money's worth from distributing through you because there is no advertise, no <laughs> product placement at all in this fucking store. Nope. <sighs> yes. So while we've uh, got all the girls there and George uh, does show up, then eventually Denny comes in. The revelation is after Natalie enters that Natalie's been going to a temp agency and they've been getting her a lot of work. That's good. Natalie is on the new uncharted path of not going to college. She decided to take a time, some time off to work, Carl. Oh, so she could well, live I, a I life. I completely missed that subplot. I completely missed that. I did not, oh, I had no yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So in addition to her saying, I'm getting a lot of work, we get the wonderfully expositional uh, dialogue of, Natalie, you're working so much and putting in your time here at the store and spending every night with Denny. And oh, that's where- so this is the first we see Denny. I had oh. no clue. Yeah, no, he's a one-off. Most boyfriends are on this show. They're oh. one and done, yes. Okay, I thought there was a history of Denny that we are now just seeing the end of. Oh, so they, oh they went, we, we saw the complete arc of their relationship in one 20 minute episode. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, you did. Okay, all right. <laughs> so Denny is a, a very attractive college boy. He's played by actor Yves Andre Martin, Y-V-E-S. Yves Andre Martin, that's a very exotic name for a generically cute, very cute. I mean, I'd hit that. But the thing is, the thing is- Damn, that's I'd a, hit that. But, yeah, okay, good. He gets the, the hetero. Uh, so you, yeah. you, you'd use your pass for him, would you? Oh, come on. He's got that swimmer's bod. Mm -hmm. I, at least we think he does. We never really see it, do we? No. No. Much to my great dismay. Um, but he only has four acting credits between 1984 and 1986. And then there is a singular short that looks like he wrote, directed, and starred in in 2010. And I mean, that could have been a YouTube movie. I should have checked. I meant to. But yeah, he clearly didn't stay in the biz or certainly not in the TV movie uh, facet of the biz. Uh, but while he and Natalie are saying their hi, how do you do, hello there's, he brings in a calendar and... Natalie is apparently aware of this. She says, oh, the calendars came in. And he says, yeah, the only problem is the Langley bookstore won't sell them. They say it's bad for their image. 
And as Natalie starts looking at it, she shows it to the girl. She's like, whoa, Joe, check this out. Check out Mr. January. Then she brings it over to Blair and Tootie and Natalie. I mean, she brings it over to Blair and Tootie. And Blair is like, why is he ice fishing in February in a Speedo? And uh, basically what happens is he asks them, he says to them, hey, is there any chance you guys would sell the calendars here at the store? You get a lot of the student body here. And the girls are all like, well, yeah, I guess so. Natalie says, all the proceeds go to save the whales. Tootie says, should we ask Mrs. Garrett? Because Carl, they are all equal partners in this store. This is not Mrs. Garrett in charge and they work for her like it was last season. And they say, oh, Mrs. Garrett loves the whales. It's probably okay, great. They put the calendar in the window. Immediately, these two girls walking by on the street, rubberneck, stop in their tracks to gawk at it. Clearly, they are going to sell well. That we we missed George's um, wannabe catchphrase again. Oh, I noticed that because when they talk, they show the cut. They, they of all people, let's whose opinion should we get? George's, George yeah. Clooney. Let's get his opinion on a fucking calendar of naked men and he comes over to the guy and he says i work out i get my share of commentary you know what i mean that horrible catchphrase that yeah they're trying that's the is it i know you i know you know what i mean is that yeah. the catchphrase or it's the I that's the catchphrase out. and the delivery is it's always oh. i throw shit out of my car you know what i mean it's that it's that delivery it's, it's almost like what you talking about willis but, oh, wow. <laughs> or, or a little more yada fun. yada i think it's got i think i think it's in a storytelling sense it's yada yada but yeah it yeah. wasn't till matthew even pointed this out carl that i was aware because george is such a throwaway passes in passes out character you don't yes. really think of well, who is he to them and because i i never really got a clear feeling in this episode of who now who is george george just comes in and he has a coffee and well, it's yeah. funny you ask, Carl. They hand him his newspaper and then ask for the news in Kuwait because <laughs> he was in Kuwait. And then when he had the newspaper forwarded to his American address, they get it wrong every week. So he has to show up to get his Kuwaiti newspaper. And, and make some sort of Islamophobic joke in the process. We got off easy this oh. week. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But his dad owns the hardware store across the street. So the, the numbers got mixed up over our heads is 918 high street. And the hardware store is 819. Also, they mentioned how Mrs. Garrett loves the whales. And I believe that's a throwback to season two where they were going to uh, save the whales function or something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, so we know Mrs. Garrett Ooh. in her many things that she has accomplished and is perfect in life. She also loves the whales. So and that, a five a five season callback. And then yeah. that's when Natalie yeah. walked in. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Hold on. What? <laughs> and that's why she likes swim guys. Duh. You get the slow clap, Mr. Anthony. Brilliant, brilliant, sir. So, yes, it is a, a callback to a season a while back that Mrs. Garrett is a little bit of one of those, you know, in the 80s, they were known as crazy liberals, those whale saving, no nukes, tree hugging hippies. 
So uh, absolutely, that does track. Thank God, something in this episode does track. So the next scene, we're in the shop later, and it's Mrs. Garrett and Andy, or as Carl calls him, the horny little boy. The creepy little horny boy. Well, now, who, now, who is he to them? Is he Mrs. <laughs> Garrett's nephew? What is this kid? Why is this kid? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure there is an answer that doesn't sound insane. Um, he is a local boy who answered an ad. They realized they needed a man to be able to lug shit. Like they literally needed a physically strong person to work at the store, to do the shit that they couldn't Uh do. So they put out a sign, man wanted. And he showed up and he insisted they give him a chance that he could pull his weight, that he could be good. And number one, he's adorable. Number two, razor sharp comic timing. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, there is no irony when I say that. I think he is fabulous on this show. Um, and with some other stuff where he generated business for the store. So with that, it was like, we need to hire him and add a male into the cast because God forbid your show only have females in the opening credits. Right. right. But eventually, well, Carl, his parents are going to disappear. He's going to somehow end up an orphan. I'm not sure how they finagle that. And then when uh, when Cloris Leachman comes in season eight to replace Charlotte Ray, Cloris Leachman will take him under wing and eventually adopt him. Okay. So he eventually will live there as a member of the family. But right now, he's just a local boy who works for them. Wow. And so oh. lucky that he got a job there to, to set up this future family. Yeah. It's like, oh, 80s sitcoms. God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like a, they're always like a Disney movie. A parent always dies. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Natalie's dad died season five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you look at Full House, you look at uh, Full House. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Cousin Oliver syndrome. No. (laughs) Oh, bless. So Andy and Mrs. Garrett are in the shop. Very, very important stuff going on, Carl. Mrs. Garrett's Mm. hair is down. Carl, are you ready for, I don't don't know if you were ready for the amount of gayness that was going to be. Like you were thinking, oh, "Oh, watching the facts of life. No, we need to discuss Mrs. Garrett's (laughs) hair. Absolutely. Just wait until we get to the part where Joe's sucking on a popsicle in the middle of the oh, store. Anyway, it's actually it's actually not just a popsicle; it's a fudgicle. It's a fudgicle. So it's 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 you know, they're they're going for it. Oh god. Oh yeah. And and speaking of going for it, Andy is on the phone with some sort of a vendor regarding the aforementioned late shipment of Langley jackets that they really yeah. need to get in to their inventory. He's taking he's taking them to task. He's a mover and a shaker. That kid is not only creepy and horny, but he knows business. <laughs> he is. You know, if this were like if this were done today, he would be doing the full on. Come on, you're busting my balls here. Come on. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, um, but Mrs. Garrett's like, come on, Andy, you don't need to. She's basically saying to him, be nicer. And he says, you need a man to handle this. And then. Yes, uh, this, he actually says that. He yeah. says that. And then it's this is the. So the, unbelievable. The going for it part is 
uh, apparently the person on the phone heard him when he spoke to Mrs. Garrett and said, you need a man to handle this. And he goes back to the phone. He says, I'm 36. I was in the Vienna Boys Choir and the boys jammed on me. Yep. The boys jammed on me. I think that is a testicle joke. Do you agree, gentlemen? No, I thought he said the voice jammed on me. Oh, maybe the that's voice. it. So oh. like the voice, the voice stuck. Like he was in the Vienna Boys Choir and the voice stuck. The voice jammed. See, right. now that I heard I heard boys too. So I but uh Okay, now I, who's the horny one in the room? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. But voice oh. doesn't make sense. It makes absolute sense. Yeah, it does. Let me now, actually... Carl, this is the part of the show where I make a statement and David has to verify what I just said. Refusing to accept that maybe I knew what I was talking about. So enjoy well, with no, no, me no. While, while David Googles this fucking script I of this show. I love it. I love it. The the joke works if it's if it's voice. Absolutely. Because um, the boys jam, the, the boys jammed on me. I was thinking, did they just did they come on his back? Is that what happened? No. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. Ooh, the boys jammed on me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know the difference between jam and jelly. You can't jelly your cock in somebody's mouth. <laughs> Did you find that script, well, David? I, I did find that script. Wow, glad I took that moment away from the call here. I, know. Um, I do know that Bill Cosby has jelloed his cock into some people's mouths. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't let it go, man. I couldn't let it go. Oh, bless. Um, this is to verify that Matthew is correct. I was not doubting that Matthew was correct. If you weren't doubting that I was correct, you would not have looked it up, David. (laughs) If you were not doubting, you would not have looked it up. I'm just amazed that there's a website where you can look up the Facts of Life scripts. That's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's actually based on the subtitles. It's a uh, it's a uh, some type of a service that takes the subtitles, I assume, off the DVDs, and uh, there it is. So, okay, the next thing, uh, the next thing that I am tempted to be a dick about and go double checking you, Matthew. I won't do that. I won't. Okay. I'll be better. I, I will be best as our what? former first What's lady. What's the next thing you want to, you want to verify that I said, what happened? If, if it to, happens again, you want to verify that you can jelly your cock into my throat? No, 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 no. Okay. We're good. We're good. Um, <laughs> so there, there goes my whole theory that they were making a, a joke about is, is Gorgoyoins. So, uh, <laughs> However, the next joke that happens is Natalie walks in and goes and says she's been plugged. Mm-hmm. Nose plugged, but she still says plugged. Oh, God, yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah. plugged. That's right, that's right. Because Denny, her super hot swimmer boyfriend, has given her his nose plug to wear around her neck. And apparently that's the same as when, uh, uh, you know, a boy gives you his promise ring or something. I don't know. They try to make it like it's a big deal, but ugh, yeah, it's a joke. It's a gag. It's a, it's joke. a really I just bad wonder gag. In the writer's room, if they were like, 
Natalie should walk in and say, I've been plugged. And somebody was like, and they had an all big laugh. And then they were like, well, we have to say, she has to say, I've been nose plugged. She can't walk yeah. in and say, I've been plugged. Yeah. For God's sake. <laughs> we wish. Does she say, I've been plugged and then go, you know, nose plugged? They, they don't even do that, do they? No, that would have been funny. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, George comes back from a date and mentions that he had one of the calendars there and his date wouldn't stop looking at it. And uh, so uh, as he was complaining about this, we have, you know, little Andy, the man, putting his arm around George Clooney and saying, you know what, George, quit trying to figure them out. Just enjoy them and let it go with that. Love them and leave Creepy, horny little boy. Fuck them and cast them aside. You're George Clooney. I think you can do that if you want. Yeah. Uh, but then his, somehow, even even with the mullet, even with the mullet. Oh, especially because that was so so hot. He is so fuckable, right? Oh my well, god. What, we haven't talked about Blair yet, though. Either Blair's hairstyle with the total Marky Post, maybe little Princess Diana thing going on. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got the popped collars and and the day glow bright colors. It's just so eighties. It's so eighties right now. Yep, eighties tastic. In fact, they definitely have each have a look. They, you know, mm-hmm. Tootie's got that little Lisa Bonet thing going on, and uh, oh yeah, they they and, look great. Uh, they look of their time, yeah. but they look great and better than they ever did before. Like the the change in aesthetic has really done wonders. And even Charlotte Ray, Charlotte Ray looks so yeah. youthful. And well, she does. She, I was going to say she doesn't look so dowdy. She looked so dowdy on the show before, at least from what I remember. No, you're right. It you was know, all had... matronly shit. Yeah. yeah. So then the uh, with with George, they are talking about the calendar and kind of a, yeah, what do you all see? These guys aren't so great. Somehow it turns to them uh, talking about their fantasies. About well, the what first they... thing Natalie says, oh, well, Joe, what do you find sexy? And you'll notice Joe does not give specifics. No, nope. no. She and sure doesn't. Because fact... we, we commented about that when we were watching last night, too. Dawn goes, oh, I want to see what she says now. And she <laughs> says nothing. Yeah. She goes, oh, I like, basically, she goes, I like good walks on a beach. And someone who's intelligent, I can talk to, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. She goes, I can't give you specifics, but if it's there, it's in the eyes. That's and right. Re- yes. And it reminds <laughs> me of a wonderful Tallulah Bankhead um, quote where she said, it's not the cock, it's not the twat. Sometimes it's the smell of lilac. <laughs> <laughs> what That's- a perfectly benign lesbian answer that yeah. you would give when you're not out to your friends and you mm-hmm. would say, oh, you know, some, somebody with nice eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a so, pussy. Yeah. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was definitely notable in, in Joe's uh, journey of whatever it is. But as well, they're the going- She's wearing a sensible jacket too. Oh, and only would wear flats. According to the costumer, uh, Nancy McKeon was going through a tomboy phase of her clothing. And usually she looks like, we've joked, she looks like Paula Poundstone about to do a tight 10 over at the laugh hole. Oh, she absolutely. Yes, she was wearing her comedy jacket. It had little sequins and stuff in it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Or, and you should see yeah. some of the others with this, like with the man shirt buttoned up and a skinny black tie and the yeah. jacket with the sleeves rolled up with the white wow. showing over the, I mean, full on Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Paul Poundstone, Ellen DeGeneres, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Let me see. Suzanne Rosie Westenhofer. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, who's the, who's it? Lois Joy Brom- Behar. Lois Bromfeld. <laughs> and yeah, all the, how shall I say? Lesbians. Well, uh, at this point, George is like, I can't believe it. I'm actually listening to women yeah. talk about what they like in men. I've been waiting for this my whole life. At which point the girls all go, what are we, crazy? Let's go talk in our room. And they leave the store where they work. And the- uh, Yeah. The the, the question- With George and the kid. Yeah, the question comes up a lot, Carl. Who is minding the store? It was the same with Edna's Edibles. It's like, you will have all of them doing something else. And you're like, "Not, not one of them? I mean, I guess Andy, I don't know, whatever. Um, this transition out of the scene is really awkward too. There's no punchline. There's no, I mean, they try to get the shoehorn a punchline in with like, yeah, what are we crazy girls? Let's go and talk elsewhere. But it doesn't, I mean, there's, there's, it's a live audience, isn't it? Yeah. Or no. Yeah. It's live. There's no laugh. Yeah. There's, I don't believe there's a laugh at the end of the scene. It just kind of fades out. Yes. And it is clumsy in that it goes to the next scene and the music is kind of awkwardly dubbed in the sort of transition music. And what's going on here, Carl, is there was uh, in the following scene, there's a little beginning that was cut from the syndicated version that's only on the DVDs. Nothing to do with improving what you saw at the end of that last scene. I thought the same as you, I was like, there's gotta be more there. That can't be where they ended it. That is, (laughs) it's, Very sad. Yeah. And in the beginning of the next scene, we know that uh, later in the show, Denny is sitting at the store and autographing the calendars. Uh, but this actually sets it up here earlier in the episode that he is there. So there's a couple of girls bringing up their calendars and Natalie is standing over him and every single thing that he signs, she's like, yeah, go ahead and sign that. I have a girlfriend. Denny, go ahead and uh, put down, think of me as a brother. Like Natalie being all, <laughs> he's mine. Back off, bitch. Oh, because she says that later in the scene. She goes, eh, he's my boyfriend. Yeah. So there's a lot yeah. of that somewhat desperate plea to be attached to him and make sure people know that he is her fella. Uh, so then in comes uh, this older woman, Kate uh, Kate Andrews is the character played by character actress Jane Keen. Tons and tons and tons of credits. Uh, most notably from 1966 to 1970 in the color Jackie Gleason variety show where he revived the honeymooners. She plays Trixie in that. Wow. I can see that. I can see that. Replacing Joyce Randolph. Joyce Randolph, no. who, by the way, still alive, 96 years old. Wow. Yeah. She was what we considered back then um, fake Jan from the, <laughs> the, the Brady Bunch variety show. She was fake Trixie. She was known right. as that. She was the replacement ginger. Yeah. yeah. I know. Who, yeah. Judith Baldwin, who the fuck are you? Get off our island. <laughs> if you had a nickel for every time a maitre d' said that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, this woman is apparently friends with uh, Edna, Mrs. Garrett. Not that we ever really see her with any friends ever for the entire run of the show. But um, we're talking, they are friendly. She comes over and sits at the counter and she sees the calendar and she says, um, yeah, oh, these calendars, you have them here. And she's like, yeah, we're selling them for the kids. And she says, yeah, there's a problem with these at the school, you know, and Edna's like, what? And she says that because she sits on the board of regents, uh, she says the board feels that the calendars aren't consistent with our image. Uh, and so Natalie happens to be there. So it comes up with Mrs. Garrett going, whoa, 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 Natalie, they won't sell these at the school. Did you know that? And Natalie's like, yeah, kind of, sort of. And um, the woman does say, you know, Edna, if it was up to me, I'd say, do whatever you want. But some people think that uh, if you're selling these calendars here, maybe you shouldn't be selling Langley merchandise. And Natalie's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you threatening us? And Mrs. Garrett's like, calm the fuck down. And so Natalie starts talking about the First Amendment and not letting a school board dictate what they can sell. And uh, the woman does say, well, without Langley's support, you don't have much of a shop. I mean, look around you. Look at all the Langley merchandise <laughs> that would not be visible and on display here. <laughs> um, but fortunately, Mrs. Garrett stands her ground and says, oh, well, I'm really sorry about that. Bye. Not mean, not adversarial. It's just, oh, well, we're, we're gonna. So, okay, bye. And that's where we go to commercial. Well, my question is, how did this calendar get made if yes. Langley College isn't supporting? Like, they took the photos from the Langley swim team. They printed it from the Langley swim team. How, who, where, how did it get made <laughs> if it's so fucking offensive to everybody? Like nobody at Langley approved the calendar. Right. They just showed up anyway. Yeah. No, no, I, I, the only thing I can think of is they're alluding that the, the, the swimmers went off on their own and organized this all. But this kid is such a dolt. You wouldn't believe that he could open a fucking door to get out of the store. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. And, and it's like, well, who, yeah, who bankrolled the printing of these calendars would be, he could just clearly, if they could put it in their window and just rubber net, just stop dead, it could be like, yeah. well, we don't need to sell this quote unquote at the college store. I'm just going to sell them privately out of my room. Give me here, give me 10 bucks and here have a calendar. Doesn't well, need to and be officially point, sanctioned. And, and you, you giving the synopsis re reminded me that Natalie wasn't part of the production of this calendar because later in the episode you get that feeling that she has a stake in these calendars and she doesn't really yeah other it, than they're selling them for the swim team yeah it it's we have so we always uh, have notes for the writers carl that we plan to send back in the time machine and uh there's a <laughs> lot more that's about to happen that is going to necessitate a lot of notes but before we do that it is commercial time Therefore, we like to pause our synopsis and get to know our guest. So, Carl, <laughs> let's talk about you, your life, your career. Let's give a little McTour of uh, the amazing comedic magic that is you. Carl, where were you born? Yes. Born in Detroit, Michigan in 1966. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, uh, I um, 
my father was the uh, was a well, he was a policeman and then became police chief of the small suburb that of Detroit, just north of Detroit. He was the police chief of Pleasant Ridge, and we lived in the neighboring town of Oak Park, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, my Pleasant Ridge was a more affluent part of the city, a uh, northern suburb of the city. And we did we couldn't afford to live in Pleasant Ridge, so my dad was the chief there. But uh, and uh, I became. Uh, I uh, right out of college, or actually during college, I started working in radio and ended up getting hired at the radio station in uh, 1986, the station called WRIF in Detroit. It was a rock radio station. I was the prom- assistant promotions director and uh, really desperately wanted to get on the air. And when, uh, when everything went south and the station got bought, and uh, by a different company, they dissolved my position. So I thought, well, I'll go back to college and finish my degree. And right before that, I thought, well, or I could try my hand at stand-up comedy and maybe get back into radio and get on air and do morning stuff and things like that. So I started my hand at open mic nights in Detroit in 1988, 87, 88. And was it was a boom at that time? Uh, yeah, and that Detroit. was a huge time for stand-up. Yes. Every every bowling alley, every Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. had a comedy night. It oh, absolutely! The, it was the drag queen bingo of its time, for Christ's sake! <laughs> oh, truly, <laughs> we, we we were the happy hour buffet. We were absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I, I started doing open mic nights in 87. And then once I got let go from the radio station in 88, I went full time in stand up and thought, I'll just give it a try. And um, because and I wanted, I, I don't I didn't have a real good act put together back then. I was just doing flailing about and trying to figure it out. Um, and this gentleman from Chicago, Second City came had come to Detroit and had started a no other way to say it a, a comedy college in Detroit and it was tr- it was basically trying to cultivate a bohemian kind of group of comedians who are all kind of banding together and helping each other out and figuring out the marketing and all of this stuff helping each other creatively and he for, I mean, there was a lot of struggles with it because you can't teach comedy, but he did teach us how to be better comedians. Mm-hmm. And we did get, we cultivated a, a, a friendship with this small group of comedians. And we would go around to open mic nights like a religion. We would go, because I remember in like 88, 89, doing open mic nights and 87, 88 rather, and there was on a Monday, on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, there was at least two open mic nights in Detroit and somewhere in Detroit happening. Wow. So we would, bo- we would book all of those shows and go and jump around town in a night and do three, four open mic nights and just working out material and stuff. And it was amazing. We were getting uh, good because of the sheer volume of comedians needed to, you know, to be on these stages that were popping up everywhere. At one point, there was about 30 weeks of stand-up comedy available for a comedian within an hour of the city of Detroit. So I didn't even have to leave the city for wow. most of the year. Um, yeah, so it was just, it was a great 
time to be starting in stand-up because there was a, opportunities galore. And, but you had to get good quick. You had to really work it. And you had an opportunity to work it, but you had to take the opportunities and run with it. Yeah. So that, that was where that, and I, I started working the road pretty quick and was on the road featuring for a couple of years and then started headlining really quick. So I headlined on the road for a long while. And uh, the, my, my girlfriend, now wife, at the time, we were just kind of, she was hoping to become an artist at Disney and I was doing stand-up and I thought that's what it was. And we had talked about perhaps moving to Florida to help her pursue her dreams. And I thought I can do stand-up anywhere. And we got down here and after about a year, year and a half of me being gone the whole year and her struggling to, to find her place at Disney, I thought, I need to get off the road. Mm -hmm. So I was getting tired of being away and she was definitely getting tired of me being away. So I, um, I thought, well, I can always step back to it if need be, but let me see what's available and, and uh, you know, what, where I can fit if I audition for either Disney or Universal and audition for both places a day apart and got hired by both uh, a month apart, just as subs started at the murder. She wrote show at Universal. Oh yeah. And then that was in 95 and then um, got hired at as a sub at world showcase players at Epcot um, a month later and then got hired full time at Disney as a world showcase player, I helped open the bird show, the flights of wonder show at animal kingdom. I was part of the opening cast of that. We were, we did a six month workshop before the park even opened. So that was an intensive process. Wow. And then, um, was at adventures club for 12 years, comedy warehouse for a year and a half and that mix. And then after that close, went back to Epcot to world showcase players, learned hoop you do the net makes finding Nemo, the musical, a bunch of other shows. I've done a lot of shows at Disney. I've been in a few. Um, and, and nowadays, and nowadays at the horror makeup show here at uh, universal studios, Florida, and I'm still doing my standup comedy from time to time. So yeah. And, and commercial, commercial, commercial TV and film work when it, when it, when it arises. Yeah, to sort of give the laundry list of of everything that we've been discussing is that, yeah, it's commercial uh, film and TV work, plus uh, interactive comedy, plus stand-up, yes. plus improv, plus musical theater, because that's Finding Nemo. Those are all musical yeah. theater people. Those are not citizens of Hollywood, yeah. you know, right. and, and Hoop-dee-doo also musical theater, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, you are quite the entertainment renaissance man. Oh, well, thank you. And and I'm just it's, thrilled. It's, I get to share the stage with you as often as I do. Oh, the pleasure's yeah, all mine. Oh, oh, start. I but, will. <laughs> but Carl, thank you so much for giving us that tour of your oh, life. But my pleasure. Enough about you. Okay, good, because I hate talking about me. We have to get back to this calendar quandary of what the fuck is going to happen at the store. I know. So when we come back from commercial, uh, Denny is still at the table autographing. In the syndicated version, that's the first time we see this. And there is a Natalie going, <laughs> he's mine. Like, I see you looking at him, bitch. I will throw down. I'm paraphrasing. Um, yes. 
So this is where we finally see Bruce again. Bruce, remember our freshman who was uh, wanting the Langley merch and was distressed over the coats not being there? Well, we have within this scene uh, sort of the, the second of the comedy rule of threes where uh, he is distressed that they're, they don't have any jackets. He won't stop freaking out. So to just get him out of the store and out of her hair, her gigantic hair, by the way, uh, yes. She says, I think they have them down the street, you know, at that tattoo parlor. Like she just says, just go some other fucking place. And I think they have them. So then he leaves. That's sort of the punchline to that chapter of it. And uh, then when he does come back, she tells him, okay, okay. I'm not supposed to say anything, but they're changing the Langley school colors. So instead of maroon and gray, this ugly ass plaid jacket is the new thing that you should be wearing to show you go to Langley. So she sells him that jacket. She lies to who a customer and sells him a jacket. Mm -hmm. it's Blair. 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 You've fallen so far. But You're actually, barely in this episode, Blair. <laughs> so, um, we do have a quick thing about the relationship between Natalie and Denny, where Natalie is like, so, hey, Tootie, what are you doing? I thought you and Chris could come out to us with a dance tonight. We don't know who this Chris person is. We don't is. know who Chris is. Okay. I was, nope. was going to ask that too. So there's no guys that these girls have had. All right. That's interesting. There like are, a regular boyfriend. Yeah. There are precious few men who have multiple episode arcs other than the guys they end up with meaning the guy that Joe marries, the guy that Natalie's supposed to marry, but doesn't, Tootie's future husband. And uh, yeah, you don't, you get a lot of one-offs on the show. I think they liked, they could take advantage of that. Um, so they do say, well, we've just sold the last Langley bumper sticker. So essentially- Which, was, which where the hell was it? <laughs> <laughs> They had it under the counter, Matthew. It was under the counter. <laughs> it was an be, ask. It was an ask for item. That must be where all the Langley stuff is, because you tell they're making it like in a college town. There's no other place to get like like Langley doesn't sell Langley stuff. Thank you. <laughs> okay, uh, you were uh, you're so right. I'm just stuck on that, I guess. But yeah. Oh well, let's let's it. get you I further stuck on. Uh, no, I, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> well, we're I've seen those movies. Giggity. Well, the thing I am stuck on is now about to happen that I am losing my mind over. Where it's like, well, there it is. Our entire Langley inventory is gone. Now what the fuck do we have? And the girls kind of turn on Natalie. And they're like, you know, you really should have told us about this calendar not being sold on campus. And, you know... Mrs. Garrett's decision, you, are you trying to tell us that you didn't somehow push her is the term they use. It's, and Natalie responds with, well, I might've nudged. Um, no, she didn't. We were there. There was no nudging. And in fact, the show was not written nor directed clearly enough that it was cleared as they were doing this, I'm like, you were there. You heard it. You heard it when Denny told her they wouldn't. Yeah. Well, I did go back 
what it is is that Joe briefly steps back out into the other room and Tootie and Blair are over at the bakery counter on the other side of the set. And in classic 80s sitcom style, if it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist and it's not happening. So uh, Joe walks away pretty much for Denny to say that one line and then walks back and, and Natalie's like, oh, hey, Joe, check this out. Then she walks across the store to show it to Blair and Tootie. And it's like, okay. So the show is trying to tell us that they didn't overhear this nor were they in the room or involved in the conversation. Uh, no, I call bullshit. I call bullshit. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. The, 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 scene, the scene comes out of nowhere and it's very jarring and the, the, the tonal shift in the scene. Yeah, and then to go one step further with, okay, well, you concealed that information from us. Did you fuck over Mrs. Garrett too when you told her is the attitude. And that she admitted she nudged. It's like, she didn't. Mrs. Garrett literally went, what are these? And she went, oh, they're calendars. They're for Save the Whales. And Mrs. Garrett went, oh, okay. <laughs> it was, that was it. It's like, we were there when it happened. What the fuck? So um, anyway, that's uh, where that scene goes. So then we move into the next scene, the heart to heart between Natalie and Mrs. Garrett. In this space, I guess we will call the storeroom. And how do they get into that space, David? Did they go through the kitchen, the former kitchen door? They walk into the former kitchen door. You said they later have a kitchen. They have to, they, they live there. They have to have a kitchen. I don't know, but one of our Tutti Fruities, I think, commented on the past saying that the storeroom was behind the other counter where Mrs. Garrett's little cookie counter was going to be mm. is where he, he was insinuating where this, um, the storeroom would be. But they walked right into the kitchen yeah. where the kitchen used to be for this storeroom scene. Yeah. We've never seen this storeroom before, Carl. Granted, it's still oh, very really? new. Okay. The, whole shop, the whole shop is very new. It didn't open until episode three. So this is literally only our third episode two, where the two, store yeah. is functioning up and running. Now the storage room, okay. 80s-tastic. The shelves are painted pink and blue. It's so freaking cute and it matches the store. I'm not a fan of the over our heads seasons per se, but I have to admit aesthetically, I am, I am more in love with this show than I ever have been. I love how it looks right now. Just want to go I on still, record. I still take issue with some of the lighting. There's still shadows being cast on people's faces that bothered me now that oh. you've pointed it out to me, David. Mm -hmm. So that You're welcome. you. But um, <laughs> Mrs. Garrett refers to her boyfriend as a hunk of horse flesh. Giggity. <laughs> when she's talking to... Which means his penis is huge. And yep. then she says, he wasn't even my boyfriend, he was my sister's. Edna Garrett, you whore. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh. she, well, she tells a story uh, to Natalie. Natalie, who is basically number one, talking about feeling guilty about the calendars. And she says, Mrs. Garrett, did I push you? And Mrs. Garrett goes, you nudged. Yes. And uh, was, was that your Mrs. Garrett impression, Carl? Oh, no, I didn't have a Mrs. Garrett impression, no. No, I you don't know. have. I don't have. 
Anytime the guest is inspired to do a terrible Charlotte Ray impression, I am all on board and ready to hear oh, it. No, so no, no. It would sound way you. too much like Paul Lynn or Charles <laughs> Nelson Riley before it sounded like Charlotte Ray. I mean, Paul Lind, Charlotte Ray, and Alice Ghostly all went to school together, so they all do sound exactly alike. <laughs> like that's I, absolutely true. Yeah, my theory Sammy. is there was there was no heat in the theater, so all of them just talk <laughs> like this, and they never got out of. Is this a dagger I see before me? Um, so Mrs. Garrett then reaffirms that Natalie nudged, and Natalie goes, "This is a partnership." And I wasn't thinking about my partners. I was being selfish. And it, uh, no, you no, were You were not. standing up for your principles. You were, you, were no. a, you were a businesswoman. This is where Mrs. Garrett says, well, we are Langley's largest distributor, you know, so they kind of need us as much as we need them. Meaning uh, I'm not as worried about the Langley merch as you are. And again, we've been open three weeks. We kind of don't know what the fuck our hot selling items are going to be. But Mrs. Garrett does say we've lost a lot of money and I may have lost a friend. You know, that friend that we never heard about before that walked into the shop and I will never ever see or talk about again. Yeah. Well, cause she lost a friend. Yeah, cause she lost her clearly. Mm -hmm. um, so Natalie does offer to call Langley and set it right. And Mrs. Garrett says, no, I wanna help the whales. Isn't that sweet? But then the second part of this conversation is about Denny where Natalie says she's never dated anyone so attractive and she still can't get over all the attention he gets. And that's where Mrs. Garrett reminisces about a time when she dated a man who was so insanely hot. A hunk of horse flesh. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. There's only one thing you're talking about when you refer to a man as a horse. You're mm -hmm. not talking about his smooth coat. You're not talking maybe he's, about maybe his... he's got a really long nose. <laughs> Why the maybe long face? Likes, maybe he likes to eat apples right out of your hand. Maybe, yeah. but I don't think. Maybe he maybe he pees with one leg up. Could oh. be, could be. I know I do. But then when Natalie kind of pushes her for, did that really happen? Kind of, kind of like Carl was earlier about Natalie dating this super hot guy. It's kind of yeah. like Natalie going, Mrs. Did, did a super hot piece of ass really date you? And Mrs. Garrett says, no, it was my sister. So Matthew, you said you were thinking that she meant that she was fucking her sister's boyfriend. Well, I'm, I'm just saying that, I mean, it was an interesting button on the end of that conversation to say that this hunk of man was my sister's this horse well, flesh well yes for her to refer to him as a hunk of horse flesh she obviously knows something about his penis thank you thank yes. you mm -hmm. you don't just refer to the guy that my sister was dating as a hunk of horse flesh no yeah no wow <laughs> but my thing is, I thought Matthew was going to be so happy because Mrs. Garrett lied. I thought she completely took her sister's story of dating this attractive no, man no. and applied it to yeah. herself. And I was like, oh, Matthew's but, going to love that because Mrs. Garrett comes off as too perfect sometimes. All the time. <laughs> uh, she went, she went, she went down on him. She went down on him. Yeah, exactly. At, at, the, 
at the very least, at yeah. the very yeah. least, she was nudged. Let's just <laughs> <Yeah>. say, <laughs> and then caressed and tapped and patted. <laughs> you can't get pregnant in your mouth. Anyway, um, so that's how that scene ends. So then we come back to the store. This is where our freshman comes back in the plaid jacket and he's really mad. And uh, George tries to flirt with one of the girls there getting the calendar signed. And uh, she ain't having it. She's just like, whatever. Are you in a calendar? Go fuck yourself, George Clooney. I know, George Clooney, for God's sakes. Yeah. 25-year-old George Clooney. Yeah, Hello. I, I don't care how straight you are. You, you'd be like, okay, well, we'll do a handy J in the storeroom. I mean, <laughs> George, fucking George Clooney. I mean, George those Clooney, eyes. For God's oh. sakes. Yeah. God. Now, this actress that he's flirting with, her name is Frances Megan, and she's going to be back in season nine, episode three, playing a different role, not Jill. In this episode, she will be playing Jane, one of Blair's classmates, mm and peers when Blair is in law school and there's a misunderstanding over Blair possibly having an affair with one of her law professors who is married. And uh, she's not, but the students are all talking and this this bitch- A little don't stand so close to me situation. Yeah, she's all, I know she fucked the law professor just as I know I didn't fuck that guy at the calendar signing. Uh, Anyway. FYI, we will see her again. Um, and then Andy interjects to, to button this little flirtation scene. Matthew, your, your head is in your hands. Tell us what Andy says to button the bit. Well, I'm okay with it because we have spent all these years, the first season especially of, of the 70s and 80s sexualizing young people. But for Andy to say, I wasn't in the calendar. I was too busy doing Playgirl. Playgirl, yeah. He's 12, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. Yeah, that's where, hence the creepy, horny boy yeah. comment from me. Um, Everybody wanted another Gary Coleman. It's true, it's true. And again, subject matter aside, I am 100%. Oh, it's not the kid's fault. It's not the actor's fault, yeah. it's the writing. Yeah, I am on Mackenzie's side. I'm on Mac's side because, you know, our dear close personal friend, costumer Diana Eden does refer to him as Mac, like uh, all his friends do. So we call him Mac. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yep. So then Natalie takes Denny into the storeroom. And Giggity. this is where... <laughs> Giggity. And uh, she kind of tries to talk about stuff and... Finally, she admits, I like you, but not for the right reasons. I think we should stop seeing each other. And he's like, huh? Ooh, shiny object. It's really, really dim. And she says, I'm using you for attention. I like being seen with you. And part of me is like, and that's bad data. Anyway, anyway. Um, So he takes it very graciously and in stride. And like you said earlier, Carl, it suddenly becomes like a very special episode. It ends. He does. Seriously, with him saying, well, I guess if the magic isn't there, it isn't there. And they kiss goodbye. He becomes becomes so insightful when he's been a light bulb for the entire episode. Yeah. 
True, so true. And here's my thing. They, they kiss and then Natalie walks out and kind of looks back at him and it's sort of like, why are you leaving an outsider alone in the storeroom for your shop? But uh, also part of me was like, for, for how shitty the writing often is, I'm like, why would you not have had a callback to the nose plug of her giving him back his nose plug or something to, yeah. to lighten it a bit? Because this, this was very sad. It was, it's, it's a somber ending to this episode. My favorite part of the scene was when you start to realize it's a very special episode when they start playing every time you go away in the yes. background for Christ's yes. sake. Yes. yes. <laughs> they had to pay a pretty yes. penny for those rights. Let me tell you that's we've we've known him for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's not like this is the end of a oh. five year relationship with Natalie. Go ahead. There is there is zero chemistry between those two. Every kiss they give each other in the entire episode, there is zero passion. It's more of a. It's like it's like it's 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 as much passion as Lucy and Ricky had in bed, and and I love Lucy. There's nothing there. There's no. There is no passion at all. Yeah, there pecks no on chemistry. the lips, but there's no long lingering ooh kiss. No. Yes. It's very much like a fabulous female kissing her gay friend, almost. Yep. It's like there yep. was this, this is how mm. friends kiss. Mm. Mm. This has been Wishful Thinking with Matthew Art. <laughs> uh, so then the end credits, a new aesthetic thing among many with season seven is this thing of having a video in a box while the credits roll on another part of the screen. Uh, so we did have last week, it was Joe's student giving a, a, a term paper talk. It was just a clip from the show. That was a long static shot that they could put in there. Well, this week we actually made some video. They said, okay, we're going to actually film a bit that's visual without any audio. So it can just be there under the end credits. And in this case, it's Mrs. Garrett looking through the calendar. Salaciously, yes. So, oh, yeah, definitely. And reacting and, oh, my. <laughs> and, and we did get an, oh, my, when she first sees the calendar earlier in the episode, which is a closest thing to a catchphrase Mrs. Garrett has. Um, so here's a question I have. Mrs. Garrett's getting to look through the calendar. Why haven't we seen anything in the calendar? They never even take it and turn it so that we get a sense of what the pictures look like. It's hard to see. It's a shape of a guy, but it's clearly clothed. Yep. Clearly clothed. Yeah, it is. There is one point you do see what's inside the calendar. It is a 35-year-old dude dressed as a cowboy leaning on a horse. It's clearly yeah. okay. a generic photo from an existing beefcake calendar that they just bought as a prop. And I mean, on the front cover, it's a very attractive blonde dude. And you can see he's wearing a red t-shirt. It's like, this is the swim team. Why would it not be a group shot of all of them by the pool in their speedos with their bathing caps on? I mean, why would you not have a, sh okay, Matthew? Matthew? I, you can leave, you can leave off the bathing cap as far as I'm concerned. Oh, you don't but, like you the know, 
You don't like the head condoms? No, I don't want it to turn and look like a falcon wearing a bathing cap. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got those noses. But David, it's just like the, the men of Blanche's boudoir, that calendar that Blanche gives the girls for in the and Golden Designing girls. women? No, on Golden, the, on Golden Girls. But it, by not saying, by not showing us, David, now we all have our own image of what these pictures look like. And I think that was the right choice to not show us. Talking about ice fishing, talking about skiing in a speedo. And yeah, granted, she's like, why is that guy in a bathing suit on skis? Now I have in my head yeah. my yeah. own picture of and what then, that person is. And then, Later, uh, George Clooney says that was me in the fur coat and the dolphin or riding the dolphin or something like that. Exactly. So now we all have created our own vision of it. I think it was the right choice to not show us anything from it. Okay. Take would that, you, hippie. Would you like to verify that with anybody? <laughs> no, no, I don't need to verify that. Thank you. I would also like it noted that we did see both hands of Charlotte Ray while she was looking through the calendar. <laughs> is there an issue is there an issue no i'm just saying she wasn't like mm -hmm. oh. she wasn't uh, i believe she the term is flicking the bean she wasn't peeling her she wasn't peeling her potato <laughs> let's say. that that was a great charlotte ray in in sexual stimulation mode carl thank you for that <laughs> But I, that was actually that was my Chuck Nelson Riley. So there you go. <laughs> I have a question that is based on this episode. What, like, have either of you ever dated somebody that was clearly out of your league just because they were out of your league? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't totally. want to feel like I was the only whore. No, 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 no. <laughs> the difference between me and Natalie is that the person out of my league ended the relationship. I, I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> my example of that is is not unlike all of my dating life, which is just what really you're you're interested you in. Wanna... You, you want to? Oh, I mean, okay, why not? It's like I mean. I clearly married out of my league too. So I'm, I'm always looking across the bed going, really? You want me to have sex with you? Okay. <laughs> so my biggest thing as we're kind of wrapping this up, my, my biggest complaint and the easiest fix, the thing that could have so easily been fixed in the writing is they did do a good job with Natalie being very fixated on, he's mine. Can you believe it? He's mine. He's mine. But, the whole thing of the girls saying, Natalie, you should have told us the whole thing. You should have nudged Mrs. Garrett. They could have retrofitted that first scene to match that. That would have been perfectly Absolutely. cool if he came in with the calendars and she said, oh my God, these are great. I'm glad your friend Harvey got a loan from his parents to pay for the printing, but now what? And he says the Langley bookstore won't carry them. And have her be like, oh, no, that's terrible. And then have her go, wait a minute. We should sell them here. And then go to the girls and say, hey, girls, instead of him asking, have Natalie go to the others and say, hey, guys, look at these great calendars. Don't you think we should sell them? And someone could say, well, it's the Langley swim team. Don't they sell them at the Langley store? And she could say something like, oh, they passed on it. They want to give us an exclusive, like maybe a white lie. Sure. And I almost liked the fact that Tootie says we should check with Mrs. Garrett 
and that they together say, she'll probably go for it because of the whales. And then when the time comes, Mrs. Garrett's like, oh, the whales? Yeah, okay, sure. I actually wouldn't want to change that. I wouldn't want to add the nudging of Mrs. Garrett, but making it just be a little tiny bit of a, a pretense that Natalie is doing this solely to please him and make sure she doesn't displease him right? so that she can hang on to her man. That would have been fine. I would have been, that would have been perfectly fine. And when she says to Mrs. Garrett, I fucked up. Yes, she would have fucked up. I don't think this episode really has a true Natalie fuck up that needs to be corrected or atoned for. Any other final words, Carl? Any other final comments about the show? <laughs> I, well, I'm now intrigued. I'm going to tell you, I want to see the rest of this season. I think I might actually watch some of these episodes just to kind of figure out how this is going to wrap up because there is, it was a little jarring for me because I'd never seen these years from going from them being in their little school uniforms at, at, uh, at the, the girls' school to now being in, I, I think I recall uh, an episode or two of the Edda's edible years, but I really don't remember any of this. And it's it's like, gosh, this is, this is different. This is a different yeah. show. It, it very much is. And a lot of people love it. I'm having so many problems with the writing and the scripts. The writing is lazy, yeah. Yeah, and the evolution of the show is, it is becoming a true bona fide 1980s sitcom with all the good and the bad that that means like every episode stands alone is not related to one or the other it's just trying to accept that trying to step away from my modern mind and and cut it some slack i can't (laughs) it's it's not a soap opera it's not a soap opera just like 227 you can watch an episode and you don't need to know the history of why they're all living in this in this building together they just are yeah. Yeah. why you don't need to know why these four women are living in a house in miami they just are and you know what's the idiot one's the slut and one's the librarian so <laughs> you just have to accept it david it's yeah. the rules now this is how 80s writing sitcoms are it ain't the handmaid's tale for christ's sake i'm right. i'm struggling i'm struggling each and every week Carl Anthony, this was our appointment television. What was your appointment television when you were around this time? Like when you were a the, kid and watching in TV? In the 80s. Let me think. In the 80s. Oh, I was really into. Well, oh, this time, this era, I would have I been watching a lot of like Cheers. Um, uh, as Battlestar Galactica was gone by by this point, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. What was your favorite show growing up in general? My, oh, my favorite show growing up was Star Trek. Uh, I was a big Star Trek nerd, but that was that was syndication, and I would watch a lot of like Lost in Space and Godzilla movies and things like that. But I loved um, uh, the Greatest American Hero would have been around this time, wouldn't it have been? Oh my God, I yes. adored that show. I adored that show and and a lot of the Stephen Cannell shows, you know, the 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 A team and um, a lot of genre at this point in my life. I was a lot of like NBC was doing a lot of of like Manimal and things like that. So I was watching a lot of those shows. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, Brandon Tartikoff. It was either a huge hit or just a huge piece of shit. She yep. had no filter. It was But if it had if it had a robot or a dude turning into something or something, I was watching it. I was that kid. I was that right around this time. Yeah. Oh hell yeah. Nice. Real nice. people. I loved real people, which is weird because I hate reality TV, but I loved real people as a kid. I thought it was one of the greatest shows. And they're available now. They're all on IMDB TV. Are they you, really? can, you can access through your prime membership. Yeah. All the real peoples oh, in their entirety are there. Yeah. I love the real people. It's a trip. It's totally a trip. Well, Carl, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for giving us My your pleasure. time. And thank I'm you glad for having me. If this, if this show inspires you in any way, shape, or form to want to further explore the facts of life, season seven and beyond, well, we have done God's work today, then, haven't we, Matthew? <laughs> Absolutely. We, we've converted another, David. Uh, <laughs> this is part of the gay agenda that we're pushing on people, Carl. That's all right. Amazing. My, my, my dad asked me one time when he, my dad would, uh, would come over for, uh, my dad's very old school and in and, and, and his thinking, and uh, which, you know, means homophobic. And, uh, and we were, had a, a Christmas dinner and we had Kurt von Schmidt and his partner over and we used to hang out together a lot and uh we would just you know call each other baby and honey and stuff like that all the time and we uh his partner gave me his uh, a gift at the uh, his partner at the time gave me a gift and i said oh thank you baby and my dad follows me into the kitchen and goes what are you what are you doing I'm like what he goes you're, you're calling that guy baby are you going gay on me I'm like, yes, dad. Yes, dad. I'm going gay on you. This is exactly how I wanted to say it to you, too. Like Michigan J. Frog. I wanted to go, hello, my honey. There is my baby. <laughs> so, yes. So I'm yeah. already on the gay agenda as far as my dad's concerned. Mm -hmm. yes. Very good. Well, good. Is your dad still with us? Oh, yes. He's 92. So he's, he's still oh, hanging on. Then you got to tell him about this. Tell him. <laughs> I'm yeah. definitely going to. I'm going to make my dad watch some episodes of Facts of Life with me. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. I look forward to soon being on stage with you again. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you too, Matthew. Well, that was the thing. Carl and I did the same part. So we never. We never actually performed together. Together at all, which was a shame. This all has right. been fun. This has yes. been Thank you again, Carl Smooches, and goodbye. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Carl Anthony. Next week, Matthew and I are going to be watching Season 7, Episode 5, A New Life. And our guest is going to be Kevin Kriegel, returning to the show after quite an absence. We have a great time. The show is already recorded, just not edited yet. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. You can watch the episode ahead of time at dailymotion.com. The link is in the show notes to this episode and also on this episode's webpage. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. 
Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.